Hey, everybody. Podcast will kick off in just a minute here. I just wanted to say, you know what's better than uh, listening to this podcast with Caron Armand? Listening to this podcast and then going and listening to the Patreon-exclusive bonus material, which we recorded after recording this podcast. We uh, dip a little bit back into the question of shade, uh, and we get to a specific recommendation that really anybody could do to sort of open their way to clearing up some of the things that we talk about in this, in their lives and in themselves, along with herbs and other things, uh, direct from Chiron's uh, wise mind. Jump on over to patreon.com slash the hermit's lamp, follow the links in the show notes and uh, make a commitment to commit some money to every episode and you will get access to uh, this bonus material from Chiron, the existing body of bonus material, uh, including playlists by Stacking Skulls and uh, extra material from other guests and all the future materials going forward. Supporting the podcast uh, accomplishes two things, which I am a big fan of and I hope you are too. Uh, one is it uh, supports the transcriptions for getting these podcasts transcribed uh, as part of my general commitment to access. And it supports me. It creates the uh, space and possibility for me to continue to dedicate time and energy to recording this podcast, which I think is deeply valuable. Uh, and I hope you do too. All right. So jump on over there, patreon.com slash the hermit's lamp. All right. On with the body count. No, wait. On with the episode. Welcome to another episode of the Hermit's Land podcast. I am here today with Chiron Armand to, uh, well, to talk about everything because one of the things that I appreciate having followed uh, their orbit for a while is they do a lot of different stuff. You know, they, they practice a lot of different traditions. Um, but I think that one of the things that's inspired me about having them on is uh, they seem from my point of view to do it with a lot of integrity. Uh, which I think is something that can be very difficult or sometimes just totally lacking when people are involved in a variety of different paths. Um, but for people who might not know who you are, um, who are you, Chiron? Tell me. Tell me a little bit about yourself. I'm a dude from Queens, um, 33 years old. As of the time that we are recording this, I'm a Taurus with Pisces Rising and Leo Moon. Venus, Mars, and Capricorn. I happen to be a uh, spirit-initiated shamanic healer uh, with some initiations and a few other traditions, including Haitian Vodou as an Ulan Asabwe. Uh, I am the founder of ImpactShamanism.com, um, and I've written a couple of books on on magic, and am hoping to move more into my you know artistic life because I, I also have a background in the arts and academia that has been uh not as flourishing as i would have liked it to be over the past few years as i've gone through various spiritual experiences and stuff but i'm finally you know regaining my footing when it comes to you know those parts of my expression that are you know ratchet and nerdy and all that and mm -hmm. uh, Social media has been a fun place to remember aspects of myself that I haven't been able to play with. In all. Yeah, it's always interesting. Uh, you know, I, I find that for sure. Uh, as time goes on, things come back, right? You know, I mean, I went to art school right at a high school, graduated art school, and I was like, fuck this business. <laughs> you know, the art scene's horrible. And I left it for a long time, you know? And, um, but those, those pieces return, right? Which I think is interesting. And it's interesting how and when they return as well, you know? A former teacher of mine would say, nothing true is ever lost. And that is something that's been really near and dear to my heart. When you, you know, especially if, you're, if you are someone who has experienced a lot of loss or a lot of, you know, like initiatory descents, It'd be really scary because you're, you know, in, in the becoming of something new, uh, you know, perhaps even over and over and over again. Um, but, you know, it's things come back, things come back. And, you know, 
and it's really beautiful when they do for sure. Mm. Well, maybe let's, let's talk about that. Um, the initiatory descent. Tell, tell me about, tell me what you mean by that, because not everybody's necessarily gonna, you know, know that term or, or have a, an idea about it. Sure. So when I, when I'm speaking of initiation, I'm generally speaking of through, you know, one of three different kinds of things. Um, but number one, the most important thing when I'm thinking about initiation is was the initiation efficacious? So, uh, I'm talking about, um, what we often consider to be initiation, the idea of a spiritual teacher, uh, a priestess, a, a mambo or ungan or something, you know, um, you know, a tata, you know, I have been initiated into, initiated into Palo. I have been, you know, I was in the, in the hands of certain human beings who had certain licenses who then put me through a ritual process on the other side of which I became some, someone new. Mm-hmm. And my experience of, um, you know, being initiated into certain traditions, you know, there are some similarities no matter what. There's often some kind of a stripping away of that which you were. Sure. You know, symbolically, um, you know, it shows up in different ways. Uh, I often think of the, like, the, the, um, the myth of the descent of Inanna, you know, you have the springtime goddess who's moving through these, I believe, seven portals into the underworld. At each stage, she literally, she's having an accessory or a piece of clothing removed. Mm-hmm. Um, so initiation can happen, you know, under the tutelage of a, of a spiritual teacher. Initiation is also something that life is doing to us all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we go through these cycles where life grabs us by the neck and we lose things. We experience a divorce. Our house burns down. We lose a job that we've had for 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we are being forced through a death experience on the other side of which is rebirth. But first, you have to recognize that the death is happening, surrender to it. And, you know, if, and if you don't do that, and we don't, we resist it. We're like, oh, fuck, no. Like, mm-hmm. I like this amount of money. I like this lifestyle. I like this person who is probably not too great for me. We all love, you know, we, sure. we have a very death-resistant culture. Or, or even, if, even if you don't like it, that experience of, I don't actually know what else to do, right? I don't know what else like, to do. Like, this is all I can see. And I don't know what, what else there would be if I let go of these things, right? Absolutely. And one of the things that, you know, side note, one of the things that's been really interesting to me as I'm kind of trying to make sense of some of our societal ills, I uh, have been looking a lot at what I consider to be a certain individual and collective stagnancy that occurs that makes us particularly vulnerable to possession. Mm. Uh, through you know our refusal individually and collectively to die to die to die well and become something new so now you know if you were you know if you've been avoiding you know a good death energetically for 30 years you know then you're just you know a really stale individual and you know just like water that is stagnant you know it's going to attract flies mm-hmm. so that's you know just a side note so life is always trying to, you know, there's obviously initiation by spiritual teachers. There's that, the idea that life is always supposed to be, you know, trying to initiate us. Uh, also, there's another piece here that's between spiritual teachers and life, which is I am a strong believer that we are supposed to be initiated into adulthood. Um, mm-hmm. The sort of killing off of the child self that does not occur in our culture. Uh, that's another sort of staleness. I kind of view us all as wounded children walking around in adult bodies, and that's not cool. Hmm. Um, and then the third kind of initiation, initiatory kind of stuff I'm talking about, is spirit initiatory stuff, that sometimes a god shows up, or a deity, or a spirit, or even an energy. I think that, you know, this doesn't get any play, but it happens. You know, a craft can come and initiate you. You know, suddenly you just start seeing books about knitting everywhere, and you just you're like, "Whoa, I am dreaming about knitting." And mm. you know, and sure, that can be backed up by weaving deities and the lineage of grandmother spirits who are you know yeah, all of ancestors, right? For sure, exactly. You know, we you know, an energy, you know, whether it be deity or ancestral energy or even uh, a gift can absolutely move into our life in a shocking 
an overwhelming way, demanding our attention, demanding that we bring our attention to it. And, um, and that can be very harrowing. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that, um, you know, those kinds of transformations, right, uh, all, on all levels, right, they're not easy, usually, right? Sometimes they are. You know, I mean, uh, you know, I've been through initiations when I, when I spent my, uh, spent my time in the OTO, right. Doing, you know, Crowley derived ceremonial stuff, you know, I would always know that I was ready for the next initiation um, because I had a dream about it, that I was literally like walking into the temple and there I am. And, you know, you know, like some of the elements after on the other side of the initiation, I was like, Oh yeah, look at that. There's, there's not the whole piece of this pieces of it you know in the in the dream state and it was it was um very interesting right you know to kind of have those and in that case the work was often sort of uh impacting me ahead of time right it's like it would start i'd be like oh i can feel the itch the next initiation's coming because there's some turmoil here and then i have the dream and then i work on the turmoil and then i have the dream about the ceremony and then at some point you know not too long after usually then it's like, I get the call where it's like, all right, we've coordinated a date for you, you know, show up on this date and we'll do the thing. And then, you know, in that case there, you know, the formal side was more of a a cap on the work, right. You know, like a, a completion of the work and and an opening to whatever's next. Right. You can totally feel that door just starting to become slightly can be, yeah. you know, you know, it's that energy of dream. It's the energy of slight discomfort. A new opening is beginning. Mm-hmm. So I'm always curious about, about this from people because I, I, to be completely honest, I am uh, somewhat cynical about spirit led initiation, right? Not because I don't believe it's true. I'm not because I don't believe it happens, but because of, uh, you know, all you need to do is go on the internet and see all the, the BS that shakes out from that sometimes. Right. So, so, you know, from your point of view, how does a person who's feeling a connection with, with an entity, with an ancestor, with, with the stuff, how do they, how do they differentiate between an ego thing between, you know, something that's real you know, versus, you know, kind of maybe getting lost in their own shadow and, and ego stuff. Get good divination. Uh-huh. Preferably from someone with a spirit-centered practice. Mm. I say that because there's so many different kinds of diviners, and I love all of them. I love us all, um, kind of. Um, the shade part. We we'll get to the shade part later. <laughs> well, you know, I, uh, you know, I have to allow myself to be bitchy where I think it, you know, where I think it serves. You know, there are so many uh, amazing diviners. You know, there are individuals who use tarot in a very psychological model. Um, I myself have benefited from spirit workers who are psychotherapists. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we're all intuitive. There are so, you know, sometimes I have to get out of being spirit centric. You know, I have absolutely benefited from friends of mine who are far more grounded in Midgard, in the middle world, just say, Kai, Kai, get, get, fucking 401k, Kai, 401k. Let's get to Nebraska. Do your taxes. Exactly. Do your fucking taxes, Kai. You know, um, but, you know, I think that when someone is, you know, thinking I might be encountering uh, the numinous in a profound way, then go to someone who is grounded, mm-hmm. uh, who has encountered the numinous in a profound way. Yeah. Um, you know, absolutely, you know, especially some of my earlier sort of shamanic initiatory illness experiences, I, I knew I had experienced something and I was very, uh, I had some ideas about what I experienced, but then I went to spirit-centered diviners yeah. Uh, all of them in different traditions and they were able to say, yes, this happened to you. This mm-hmm. exactly what you think happened. Yeah. Fuck, dude. That that was real. Here are some next steps. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the thing is that you know, 
profound mean nothing if it doesn't become actionable. I have a friend who, you know, I'm, I'm here in Guatemala in a, you know, cool expat city that's also, you know, I like it, I like the vibe, but uh, nearby there's Lake Atitlan where there are various small towns, some of which are more touristy than others. And I have an expat friend who is currently volunteering at a hostel there. And she was like, you totally got to come down, Kai. It's going to be amazing. There's drum circles and cool shit. And, uh, and you know, a lot of people in white cotton drawstring pants doing ayahuasca and injecting frog poison in their arms. And I'm like, okay, that's a lot. Um, but what struck me was that no one's integrating their experiences. They're just like, yeah, I shoved frog poison in my arm and I almost died. It was crazy 30 minutes. And I'm like, and then what? And then, and then what? Yeah, for sure. And then, right? and yeah. So, you know, there's that descent into initiatory experience into the mist. But then there has to be, um, then there has to be an ascent. Yes. We have to come back. That's the whole yeah. point. Well, it's, you know, I, uh, when I was 14, I was in Dominican Republic and I was driving a motor scooter and I got hit head on by a dump truck and almost died. Right. And, you know, I spent a long time. First of all, I spent a year learning how to walk again. Right. Like, you know, I mean, physically it was, you know, really, really challenging, but also that question, okay, so this happened now what, right. And the now what became, I'm going to read everything that I can find. The now what became, I'm going to run into spiritual people. And I'm going to be cornering them and asking them questions and, you know, and so on and so on. Right. You know, and that, that process of trying to make sense of a thing, you know, I mean, there's the psychological level, there's the, why did this happen level? There's, you know, like all that stuff. Right. And I think that, that's, that's the challenge with a lot of these things, you know what I mean? I spent plenty of time in my early twenties, you know, uh, joyously exploring psychedelics and other things. And then I had this, you know, again, I had this sort of really profound experience and I was like, well, now what? And then now what was, I don't need to do this anymore. I need to go do other things. I need to get to this place without anything else and experience it directly, you know? And yeah. So I think that that, that process as you talk about of like, it's amazing to have an opening experience. Um, it's not amazing to have a horrible experience like getting hit by a truck, but it's amazing from a certain perspective, I suppose. But that question of what are you going to do with it, right? What does it mean? How does it change your life? How does it change your self, right? Your sense of self. I think that's really integral to these kinds of things. Sure. And, and oftentimes we need people on shore with their arms outstretched, welcoming us back yeah. and helping us come back, you know, whether that is the spiritual people that you're cornering, whether that is, you know, the people, you know, who's, who are helping you move through various initiation, you know, initiatory experiences in the OTO, you know, we're not supposed to be doing this alone. So our collective lack of understanding of initiatory process mm -hmm. is tremendously to our detriment. Mm -hmm. individually and collectively. I absolutely, um, you know, hit a point in my initiatory illness stuff where I was just desperately trying to get back to the human world and to the stable and to mm -hmm. uh, the quote-unquote real and was uh, flailing terribly. And, you know, through a, a perfect, I mean, like, utterly, profoundly perfect scheme of synchronicities was led to a, a another spirit initiated person who you know who just called me up like hey let's talk about some essays i just wrote and they said some key words that actually um showed me that they were safe enough mm. to share what i was going through with but you know with them because i had been being gaslit by a lot mm. of people sure uh, and those key words I was, and, and they were like you need to come and live with me mm come live with me. And I actually moved in with them for three months. Uh, and those three months, they you know, gave me the space and time and knowledge to better understand what had happened to me. And the next step I needed to take to finish piecing myself back together. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that brings up a, a really important point too, right? You know, 
people need to be safe, right? People, you know, like there, there are lots of people who, you know, there's like, oh yeah, it's totally, it's, you're totally having this experience and you know, you're, you're meant to be the next great, whatever, you know? And I think that like the more people are selling you stuff, you know, in terms of ideas and whatever, and big pictures, you know, again, the more suspect I tend to be about it. Right. You know, I think that there comes this place point where it's like, yeah, you're, you're in the middle of some shit and you gotta, you gotta patch that together. It's so much different than, you know, I remember this, 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 I get people occasionally who get sent to me with, and essentially the question is, am I, am I insane or have I made contact with God directly or whatever? Right. You know, and like this particular person I'm thinking about, they were hanging out with all these people who were telling them all this great stuff. Right. And what it meant and how, how wonderful it was that like spirit was moving in and, you know, they would lose tra- lose days to, you know, possession and whatever and this and that. And, you know, when we sat down and we flipped some cards, I'm just like, no, it's none of that. Like, you know, you, you need to go preferably right now to the hospital and say, I'm hearing voices, I'm having psychotic episodes and delusions, I'm losing time, you know, and they, you know, and they had a big emotional purge about it. And then I don't know what they did because they left, right? And I don't actually know them, but, you know, but it was one of those things where depending on what people are telling you, you know, and the bigger the crown they're saying is on your head, the more suspect you should be of it, I think. You know? For sure, you know, there's a, there's a, a famous um, anthropology story. I forget exactly the cultural context but um, there is a woman who is experiencing or expressing um, certain symptoms regarding illness and, 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 and madness. And you, know, you have the ethnographer there, the anthropologist there who's watching what's happening. And some shamans are called in from like, you know, nearby town to actually come in and do divination and say, is this person going through shaman sickness? Is yeah. this person having an initiatory illness experience? And the shamans end up agreeing, no. Yeah, this person is actually just experiencing symptoms of mental illness. Yeah. And it's very interesting because the anthropologist goes on to um, say, well, you know, this is actually evidence of the um, issue of patriarchy in the tribe and that the woman was of a lower, ca- you know, economic class and all of those things rather than accepting the spirit-centric animistic view of, no, the shaman said that she's not. Like, this is actually nothing political. Yeah, this is actually just not what's going on. Get me to a hospital, you know. Yeah, well, and I think that I think that that's a thing that um, the Western mindset struggles with, right? That it is possible to have a concrete, solid answer, right? If people, you know, it's people, you know. People, people feel that Oshun is visiting them, right? You know, I mean, something that I run into, right? As a, you know, as a priest of Shango in the Afro-Cuban lineage, right? You know, people show up and they're like, oh yeah, Oshun's talking to me, right? And I'm always like, well, I don't know, maybe, right? I'm like, but if you want to find out, there's a way to find out. You know, there are traditional divination. There, there are these things that can give us answers. And almost everybody who gets the answer that's no doesn't accept it. Right. You know, this idea that we could get an authoritative hundred percent reliable answer to a question about things like that is something that people really struggle with. Right. Because they don't, you know, they don't, they want to look for other reasons. Right. Instead of just being like, okay, well, you know, Arisha says, no. Okay. What do I do now? Right. Well, what do I do now is a really important question too. You know, we, we're, we have, um, we're struggling with a tremendous lack of, of meaning in our culture. You know, identity is a huge issue. And, and you know, we're, we're all supposed to be having experiences with the profound mm-hmm. an understanding of, some understanding of the intrinsic profundity of our own true nature mm-hmm. and being denied that 
but having a soul that is wired for that, yeah. uh, we're, we're really fucked, frankly. We're so badly fucked. So it's like, but like, don't take this one cool thing that tells me that I'm more than the rat race away from me mm-hmm. you know like no i had this dream it was a golden woman it had to do with a river it has to be this don't take the first time i'm experiencing some level of profound meaning in relation to my life away from me mm-hmm. right well and i think yeah this this question about identity is one that i am fascinated by right how do people construct identity how do people uh find identity you know and you know, and, and in some ways, I, I've definitely talked about this on the podcast uh, in a few places, especially probably on the Stack and Skull stuff, about this sort of notion that a lot of the magic that I do for myself, I kind of term it as identity magic, right? It's like, how do I change my consciousness to identify myself in a different way to make things possible, you know? But um, but yeah, people are people are often looking, it seems, for the identity the end of the searching for identity, the end of the questioning of who we are. And, you know, I don't know, I don't know when that happens. If you found it, you let me know, but I feel like it's a, it's a continuous set of questions, you know? It is a continuous set of questions. I think that one of the things that I've been most blessed by was my working for some time with a teacher who really focused on the idea of the authentic self that you know you actually are here with a purpose and understanding certain aspects of that purpose can give you an idea of some of the things that you're here to do so bring your attention to that mm. uh bring your you know and it, that show has shown up for me in like big mundane ways like okay yeah obviously i have a better understanding i'm supposed to be doing certain things like this here and there but even the small ways when my you know i'd be like i'm gonna craft a spell i'm gonna craft some magic and like the 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 push that i've experienced in the spirit world like make sure you include song in that Uh i'm like okay yeah i used to sing as a kid but like that was a piece that's one of the pieces of my soul's purpose energy is like music is is there Mm. you know we we are kind of this beautiful prismatic energies, but most of us have no idea what that prism consists of. Mm-hmm. Um, so even getting a little bit of understanding of who, I, and it's not even just an understanding, it's really a remembrance. Sure. Of like little remembrances of who we are, um, which is also really helpful when it comes to protection. Mm-hmm. Um, so that you can stop listening to every voice, human and non-human, about what to do. I mean, there's nothing more, um, I think, you know, there's almost like nothing more valuable in the cosmos than the human heart. Mm. And the human heart is um, easily hijacked, Mm -hmm. easily persuaded and influenced. So you got to get that shit on lock. Like, who am you know, I, I only start, who am I, what am I doing, why am I here in a sense of it? So you have an understanding of what you have to claim because um, that trickster spirit hiding behind that Oshun face wants that heart, girl. It wants to eat you, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, for sure, right? So, um, you know, there's also an article going around. It's very interesting from a number of perspectives. Um, it's uh, an article, the title, I believe, is called Shamans View Mental Illness as Something Different Entirely. It's a very interesting article because uh, on the surface, the image often shared in relation to the article is that of a South American medicine person, mm. while the article is referencing a West African medicine person. This is just, you know, I'm a nerd. Sure. Um, the article is referencing the work and teachings of Maladoma Somme, who is a Dagara elder, mm-hmm. um, and you know who, who's written about mental illness and his experiences of um, psychiatric hospitals here in the West, uh, and the you know oftentimes spirit influences that he sees uh, going on in regards to mental illness. Never does he say all mentally ill people are shamans. Sure. But that's kind of the like takeaway 
mm-hmm. that the article provides and that most people who are sharing it seem to, you know, to take, and, and it's, it's, it's extremely harmful and reductive yes. uh, of the, you know, of the, the vast, the vastly different states that we can experience here. Um, is there a link sometimes in spirit work and uh, mental illness or experience of madness? Absolutely. Sure. I fall into that category. Yeah. Um, but and it, it goes is, the other way, right? You know, be, uh, being bipolar, being schizophrenic, having, you know, a, a wide range, you know, of sort of certain kinds of mental illness uh, makes one susceptible to spirits coming around, right? In the same way that being stagnant, you know, you talked about earlier, makes people susceptible to spiritual complications. But there's a big difference between a spiritual complication and, you know, what you're talking about here as sort of an, uh, an initiatory sickness or a solely caused by, you know, a failure to be aligned with your destiny or whatever, right? And it also comes back to the identity issue that what one experiences in terms of uh, spiritual, you know, mental illness or, you know, spiritual, you know, intensity stuff, none of these things necessarily mean forever. Sure. You know, some of these experiences in states are temporary, mm-hmm. but in our desperation for identity, give me something to call myself. Yeah. Give me something to be besides a consumer and mm-hmm. capitalism. We just end the episode right there. Just big, bold quotes that just, please, dear God, give me something other to be than a consumer and a capitalist. You know? Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, I think it's, it's fascinating because this article really kind of um, talks about something that I wanted to ask you about, right? Which is, you know, depending on, depending on the backgrounds people come from, Right you know, you'll hear different ideas about what's going on, right? And some people have a much more, you know, uh, animism is a word that, that people tend to know these days, right? But really, you know, um, uh, a spirit-rich world, right? You know, because mm-hmm. I think of it before people started using animism, you know. And I remember talking to, you know, because I used to, the first store I worked at was like 80% Caribbean clientele would come for readings, right? And they'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, they've got a disagreeable spirit on them. All they've got this on. And everything was a spirit, right? And I think that, you know, my question for you is, this, is how, do we, how do we engage animism? How do we think about these ideas? Because I think that they're true in certain ways. And, you know, and, and what do we do with them, you know? Does that, does that make sense? Is that even a question? I don't know, but. Well, it's, you know, I remember reading, you know, in my very, very early days of animism and sort of solitary neo-Wiccan practice, always coming across, you know, walkers between the worlds, you all becoming a walker between the world. And it was just like, ooh, that sounds so cool and so sexy. And like, here I am, you know, good 12 years later, I'm like, oh, fuck, it's horrible it's just so complex yeah um and a again you're not supposed to do this alone i can't do this alone sure um you know my life is you know has to a certain extent very very often been far more spirit centric than it is healthy mm-hmm. than it is healthy for a person who lives in a body mm-hmm. um you know so again you know coming back to that idea the ascent, you know, coming back out of initiatory experiences, the, the troubles that um, I've had with, you know, coming out of initiatory experiences. And then there are people who have, you know, the opposite experience, you know, they're living solely in a, you know, Western consumerist, secular, materialistic model. And, you know, as much as we're told, this is satisfying. The next step is to go to college. The next step is to have a kid. You know, yeah. they're not satisfied. So they need someone, because again, we can't do this alone, who has that access yeah. to the other side. So I think we, you know, I'd like to see us culturally become more spirit-centric than we are. Yes. Not because I just want to jerk spirits off 
but because I think that our relationship to the spirit world offers us a lot when it comes to understanding of right relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we need both. I think we need both sides. Yeah. I think that, um, yeah, I, I wasn't anticipating this episode to be a, uh, a tour de force of, uh, of identity and good boundaries and groundedness, but uh, <laughs> back to these ideas, right? You know, and I think that it's, it's important, right? You know, and like I was, you know, I mo- mostly I just do my work, right? Like, to be honest, like, you know, uh, my own initiatory practice and my God kids and stuff, that's one piece of time running my own business and, you know, reading for people and doing work for people and running the store is plenty of time. And then, you know, you throw a couple of kids into the mix and you try and have some time to have fun. And it's like, man, that's all the time I've got. Right. So, you know, so like I tend to sort of drift in and out of looking at what's going on in other places. Right. You know, in, in terms of like social media and so on. Right. And, and maybe we're sliding into the shade part of the conversation now. So we'll see. We are. But uh, you know, it's, it's always it's interesting to me what um, what what sort of counts as as animism, right? You know, and like for me, this this question of like, does everything have energy? Absolutely. Does everything have a consciousness that we can interact with and benefit from act, interacting with? Meh. I become less certain about that at a certain point, you know, and. And I think that this question of animism um, for me is one of where are the limits of it? Where are the values of it? What is, what is functional? You know, I remember, uh, you know, I had the pleasure to spend a bunch of time with some uh, indigenous elders from, you know, sort of Northern Quebec. And uh, you know, uh, one of the things that we talked about when they were talking about, talking with me about the energies that are around me and people's reactions to them and stuff was like, yeah, some people will be worried about that, but I don't worry about it. We don't worry about it. Like if something shows up, the question is what, what can we put it to work on? What can it do? What can it accomplish in this situation? And if, you know, they said specifically the phrase, like if the devil shows up, that's fine. We just put them to work too, you know? But for me, with this question of animism, right, there's this, there's this sort of functional piece that I'm always curious about and that I don't always see in, in sort of other practices. And that may well be because I don't understand the internal process that they're doing with it, um, or it may be because it's just not present. But I'm curious for you, how do you think about animism? Where, what are your sort of relationships to the, the boundaries of that or engaging with that at this point in your journey? At this point in my journey, um, <coughs> I think a lot has to do with the local for me. Uh-huh. Uh, the local and what needs to be paid attention to. And that's going to be different for every person. Uh, and I think, you know, there might be things that are particularly exciting to me or interesting to me. Uh, and I have to be aware of my biases in yeah. that respect. Uh, as a professional spirit worker who is do- also, you know, doing readings and stuff, you know, uh, what biases am I generally bringing into my readings? What ideas, you know, what has been potent to me? What have I found interesting or had to survive through that might have no bearing on the life of my client and might even require me to say, you know what, I'm going to, you know, send you for a referral to this other person. So sure. for instance, I, in terms of the boundaries of animism, you know, I'm currently speaking to you via my laptop uh, on my you know, desk, neither of which I'm making offerings to. Right. Um, or generally consider the consciousness there. Um, I do consider the consciousness of land and house spirits because those kinds of energies have um, fucked me up to no end in the past. Sure. In, you know, tiny ways that I've had to uh, gain an awareness of in relation, you know, my relationship to and, mm-hmm. and tend relay those kinds of relationships in different ways. Um, And, and, you know, going back to what you were saying about the indigenous elders from Quebec, how do we put that to work? It reminded me a little bit of um, something a client said to me recently, you know, after a spirit helpers consultation, um, everything in my work is highly actionable. Mm. Um, I am, uh, you, you know, 
if you have a session with me uh, that is especially spirit-oriented uh, at the end of the hour, hour and a half, what I'm generally telling someone at the end of every session is nothing that, you know, I know this was weird, profound, crazy, interesting, resonance. The last thing I want you to do is leave this session thinking, yeah, you know, 10 years from now, I had an interesting experience with a shaman who told me some weird things. And, you know, no, you have homework. Yes. There are things to do. Yes. Everything here is actionable. Some of the, you know, some of the things I've expounded upon were to give you a better felt sense of the reasons why this is actionable and why this is worthy of your attention. Mm-hmm. But all of these energies are meant, you know, to be cultivated. There are actions to take. Mm-hmm. Everything is about being highly actionable. Yeah, I think of it like um, I don't want people to leave a session identifying with something. Right. You know, yes. I remember reading for this, this person and like, they're just like, yep, yep. You're right. That's my problem. That's this, that's whatever, you know, that's great advice. Yeah. I should do that. You know, whatever. And then we finished the, you know, whatever amount of time we had and they're like, Oh, but I'm a Gemini. So I just never will. And I was just like, wow. Like, I'm like, man, that identity is so destructive to you. Right. You know, and I think that, you know, there's uh my my time with with the uh, Crowley and the Thalamic stuff was was really helpful. There's a lot of it I've left behind at this point, but one of the ideas you know that kind of comes up there is like success is the proof, right? You do a thing, you take the action, you know, and something happens, right? Or you know, there's uh there's like an uh, alchemical saying that I came across at one point where it's like, um, you know, work and be free, right? You know, like show up and do the work, do the things, and then the rest of it comes from there, right? And it's not about uh, coming to divination for, uh, you know, to create or or solidify an identity, but to uh, learn to do the actions that make the change, right? External, internal, whichever. Work and be free. I love that. I am taking that. Yeah. It's my, I'm actually going to make a little uh, piece of art that goes above the door to my studio that just says that so that I can be like, yeah, why am I here today? Oh, I'm here to do that. Okay. Why are other people here today? For me to facilitate them doing that. Right? Yeah. You know? For sure. All right. So let's talk about shade then. Now that we've, now that we've done all that stuff, let's talk about shade. You know, uh, I, I enjoy your Instagram because it is uh, delightfully full of shade, you know? <laughs> Uh, it, and especially in ways that, um, you know, because sometimes, sometimes shade is just straight up meanness in a way that I don't dig, you know? I'm just like, eh, that's not really funny. You're just being a jerk now for no good reason. But tell me, tell me how you think about shade. Tell me how you approach this. Because I actually think it's one of your uh, magical works, the way in which you go about it. Um, I'm someone who has spent a lot of time in this lifetime trying to be very nice and trying to be very good and wanting to be loved. Uh And it is so at odds with certain energies that show up in various traditions of my life that do not give a fuck. Um, I just really just don't give a fuck. And, you know, you know, part of my own healing has been becoming someone who gives less of a fuck. Mm-hmm. and has been becoming someone who is not afraid to speak my truth. As corny as that sounds, and after-school special as that sounds, it can be a real issue for people who've you know, struggled with boundaries throughout their life, yeah. uh, for people who might even you know, have a performance background and you know, are very used to acting and, and trying to be palatable. Sure. And you know, the year that... I finally come to understand, you know, there's also, you know, a story we tell in our sort of collective mainstream new age spirituality that someone who does the work that I do is supposed to be nice. Mm. And traditionally someone who does me actually supposed to be very ornery. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm actually, you know, you know, you know, traditionally someone like, you know, me is very ornery and frightening and, you know, it's been, you know, kind of like, okay, I, I should accept that. I should accept that, you know, I have come to have certain experiences in this lifetime and, and see certain things that 
really, if anyone saw them, they would probably be, you know, consider humanity somewhat distasteful. Sure. And, um, and, and that's okay. The parts of me who are sometimes fed up with individual and collective bullshit are totally valid. It is not my job to quickly bury that so that I can coddle everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think that there is a, a, a tremendous lack of comfort that we should that we should collectively and societally have in harm in a real nurturing rooted sense of identity etc cetera, etc cetera. however when it comes to certain topics and certain ways of beings being especially when it comes to other spirit workers i think that uh, it really serves me as a way of calling us in mm. to have some shade mm-hmm. and to be a little bit richy yeah um yeah, so that's kind of where I am with Shade right now. There's a lot I don't share that only the you know people closest to me might hear. Um, but I, I think... Like, in the, in and, the and by the way, you, like half the listenership was just like, how do I get on that private list of extra Shade? How do I sign up for that? Is there a Patreon for that? Can I get some extra Shade Patreon, please? <laughs> you know, like... Um, I, you know, I guess the, the shade I'm gen- that's generally going on in my head and heart just has to do with um, the collective stories that we tell about power mm. and how frustrated I am with yeah. them, um, especially in the spirit world, um, whether they be, you know, um, someone's, you know, our collective very, very strong attachment to certain identities that may or may not serve us or may not be actually actionable, may have nothing to do, like, you know, that to me sometimes are very, very distracting. You know, I can say, which, 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 I'm such a witch, I'm wearing all black, I'm such a witch, I'm such a witch, I have all the stones. And I'm like, this is so distracting you from this very specific plant medicine woman ancestor who has been trying to get you to do this very specific work that would enable you to, if you went through what she's trying to get you to understand and see, bring some healing to your family, but no, you're sort of so caught up in this glitz and idea. Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, I, you know I, I'm coming primarily from, originally and primarily from a folk magic background, an urban folk magic background, you know, New York City filled with botanicas, sure. you know, um, different traditions, you know, but you know, always this story about like, oh, that Ngan, he is so powerful over there doing that really big, intense work and the cemetery is so powerful. And, you know, I remember, you know, very early in my professional practice, you know, and, you know, having clients coming to me who were, you know, being thrown at by people who were very effective, but always this conversation of like, Chiron, I really hope you can help. This person is so powerful. And, and, And needing to start like, breaking that down what do you mean by that yeah what's that conversation because there's a lot of a lot of our stories about power are really caught up in the abstract we actually don't know what the fuck we're talking about Mm. when we're saying that i or someone else is so powerful and and, and i've often found to play out when someone specifically you know we'll we'll talk specifically just because it's a good template around the conversation of curses and crossed conditions. Oftentimes when someone is coming to me and they are really invested in entertaining the story that the person who's working against them is so powerful, what's often playing out is a a few things. One, if someone actually is throwing at them, they aren't someone who is just abstractly powerful uh, in the sense that they have just trained very, very well and has truly incarnated with tremendous you know, force. Usually that person might be, frankly, um, very possessed uh-huh. and uh, full of intrusive energies that might, you know, oftentimes it's someone who has no real hold on their own power sure or they have like a ton of rage or something right it's a massive emotional energy and every now and then they just narrow it down on you know person x and then something happens (laughs) power right exactly not not in the sense that people mean it in this conversation yeah exactly and then i think about okay well what about you know your own vulnerabilities and i don't mean that in a victim blaming way but oftentimes when someone has gone to you know 
you know, a significant extent of cleansings and reversals and, and protection work, and, and they have not found that to be effective. And I've often found that that person has certain, you know, rather odd vulnerabilities. You know, I have absolutely seen people who might have ancest an ancestral curse that mm -hmm. makes them especially vulnerable sure. to curses from the feminine, yeah. you know, and now you have this you know, perhaps a woman who is in a rage and she was in a rage against you 10 years ago and you just haven't, sh you know, shaken it off. Those kinds of things happen. Mm -hmm. um, so to me, power is, you know, what is actually happening in this person's energetic sphere that's allowing them to have broad influence um, and understanding of and a attempts to heal one's vulnerabilities to me is also powerful. Yeah. And then, you know, we just do not give enough credence to the simple, humble, heart-centered medicine person in a remote setting. Sure. Who, by way of their initiatory experiences and the work that they do on themselves, has made themselves nearly invulnerable mm. to harm, nearly invulnerable to some of the macro possessions that we have going on in the world yeah and that kind of person to me is the most powerful frankly yeah well and you know i think that uh the, the more the more the more people tell you how powerful they are the more they're not right you know for one right the more somebody needs to express that the less like for sure. real stuff is going on there you know i i did martial arts for a long time and i worked as a bouncer for a while and uh, to like kind of see where I had gotten with my skill because I didn't want to like go get into real fights, but I did want to be in real situations. And, you know, I just, it, it became really obvious, right? Like it's just, it's just, it's in the way you carry yourself, right? And, and I think that, you know, in the same way too, that um, maybe those humble practitioners, you know, or people where people wouldn't identify them as sort of um, showing the signs of power, right? I think that um, a lot of work that fixes things also don't show the signs of power, right? You know, if if you're gonna, if you need a spiritual cleansing, and we're like, oh, you know what? Burdock says it's gonna help you here. So you go down to the park with a little shovel or something. This is what it looks like. Go and talk to it. Make this offering dig up some other root and take a bath in that, you know, or whatever. Right. Like it's like, Oh, but don't I need like candles and don't I need that? I'm like, no, you don't need anything. You just need this. This will fix everything. Right. Because power, power on a magical level doesn't necessarily look like we expect it to. Right. Or we have become accustomed to it being performed as right. And it's not to say that there aren't those times for those big things. You know, I mean, you know, you and I both participate in traditions that have big things, right? You know, I went to a, a, a Awan for, for Baba Luaye, a big community cleansing, and, you know, it's a, it's a whole production, you know? But that's that's its own thing, right? That's not, um, you know, the, the small things. And often even then, right, people come for traditional divination with the Orishas, and the answer is, yeah, yeah you know, bring – Bring, bring this for Shango. Shango wants a pomegranate. He wants some bananas. He wants whatever. You know, oh, I'll do this. Get a couple of coconuts. Okay, you're good. Like, it doesn't need to be dramatic in order to be effective. And, you know, there's, and as you're saying, like, there is, there's room for the dramatic. The dramatic kind of does need to happen in some capacity if we discernment is learning when and where. If I tried to make every cleansing that I do dramatic, I would never get anything done. Uh, <laughs> can I remove that? You know, one of the reasons why I fucking love Dilo Boon and I fucking love the, you know, you know, Ebo, Ebo is very often very simple, mm -hmm. but the effects are tremendous. Yeah. And I kind of revel in when my spirits tell me <laughs> to refer a client to uh, to a Dilo Boon reader because I'm like, oh, yeah, you're going you're gonna to get the medicine guy. You're going to get yeah. the medicine. <laughs> For sure, right? Yeah. Well, and I think that that's definitely a uh, a thing too, right? That referral. You said it already. I think it, it makes tons of sense too, right? Um, I want to go back to this question about this thing though uh, before we wrap up today about being a nice person, you know, because I think that I think that it's uh, 
I think that there, there, there are a bunch of false dichotomies or false positions around this conversation, right? You know, on the one hand, you have the people who are, you know, who feel every, everybody should be nice and spiritual people should be nice and kind and calm and benevolent and whatever all the time. You know, they shouldn't be ornery or anything else, right? And then on the other hand, you have this sort of um, uh, people who feel that they should be uh, dark and powerful and, you know, uh, you know, sort of gothic as it were, right? Whether literally or, you know, functionally. And then I think there's all these other positions. What do you... What do you think about that? What, do you, what what position, you know, you've been moving away from being nice. You've been moving towards being, you know, more direct, right? What, how would you describe that position? What advice would you give to people around sort of trying to make sense of those kinds of positions? Well, you know, one thing that I've been studying a lot over the past few years is the energy of collusion, mm. the ways in which we unconsciously make ourselves available for things that are not our truth for things that don't support us, for things that don't support other people. You know, there's so much evidence of what collusion looks like in spiritual community, in politics, in the entertainment industry. Um, and I am becoming more and more aware of places in my own life where I collude. I, sh- I shared on Facebook some months ago this uh, moment where I was walking to the San Francisco BART station and a uh, beautiful person who was asking for donations was singing and I really you know I had already um you know made some charitable efforts you know earlier in the week I also was broke as fuck and uh I just had a couple of things I wanted to get done that day but this person's song was like a siren song there it was one of those beautiful voices and they had a sign up and I'm walking and I'm like I really want to support this person I, I strongly believe in acting from a you know, from, from a place of movement in one's heart. And I'm feeling moved in my heart right now, but I, I, I really can't give right now. Do I share their, you know, SoundCloud? Like, what what can I do to make this energy move? And there's a man of me who looks at this person who's singing and looks at me and kind of grins as we are exiting the BART station. And the grin was something that felt like oh, poor unfortunate soul, we're not that person, right? Like, look at us ascending (laughs) out of the San Francisco BART station into the light with whatever resources we have. And in that person meeting my eyes, I suddenly felt a lot safer and more comfortable not making any effort. Mm. Not making any... And in that moment, I was able to catch that unconscious collusion that would happen. Now, this isn't significant. You know, there's no, you know, children in cages involved here. You know, there's no, you know, um, sex abuse claims that I'm denied. You know, this is so simple and small and tiny and, and, and perhaps even slightly laughable, but it was a very important moment for me to recognize a place in which I was vulnerable to other people taking me off of my, out of, taking me off of my center. Yeah. Well, and for um, you know, as a, uh, you know, uh, straight looking cis dude, you know, the amount of, the amount of dudes who try and pull me off of, you know, my beliefs about, uh, you know, equality and feminism and, you know, gender identities and all these things, you know, it's, it's amazing, you know, how, how much effort there is to create that collusion, right? Where people will be sure. like, oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, like, dude, that's a sexist joke. I don't actually find that funny, you know, or whatever, right? And it's just like, and the amount of persistence and pressure, right? And I think that when I listen to that story, one of the things that I, that I hear and I, I think is really important is, on the one hand, it's not uh, cosmically and historically changing a particular moment, Right. But when we have those experiences where we notice the collusion and we make a different choice, then that creates more space for us to free ourselves from that collusion and to continue that centeredness, right? And I think that this goes back to like the simple ebo, like the simple offering, right? Like it's not always just like lightning flash 
awakened to everything moments. Sometimes it's those little things that start shaking us onto a, a, a different path, a more centered path, you know, a more authentic path. And there are things that have a hold on us individually and collectively that need to be fought against. You know, yeah. you know, the coming back to the conversation around niceness, uh, you know, what about justice? Mm-hmm. You know, no justice, no peace. And there are yeah. things that need to be fought against. There are things that we are all in agreement with. You know, there are ways in which I myself, you know, am, am still colluding with past abusers you know, mm-hmm. in my own, in my own life, it might not be physically in my life, but the parts of me that are like, yeah, you know, you did, you kind of do suck, Kai, you mm-hmm. kind of did deserve to be treated that way. You know, this is an ongoing conversation around, around healing and, and reorienting ourselves towards the energies of healing and justice. And, and, and that's not going to be nice. And that's not going to be complacent. Well, I, I read this uh, interesting piece, brief piece that sort of got me thinking, um, uh, somebody from a kink community was writing this piece about being a nice guy versus being a good guy. And, you know, I mean, linguistically we can, we can shake it up in different directions, but, but the point that they were kind of getting at um, and, and kind of where it took my mind was essentially what they were talking about was when we're being a, a quote unquote nice guy, we are, we are being, we are doing positive behaviors in one way or another or nice behaviors in one way or another with the expectation of reward, right? With the expectation that it will get us something or take us somewhere, right? You know, and they were talking about sort of uh, being a nice guy, you know, in order to eventually get the person you want to be with and stuff like this versus being a a good person, which they sort of put forward as um, being honest, being direct, being authentic, you know, being really deeply real, and not, and not necessarily um, not being kind or whatever, but also not doing it with not being kind or nice with ulterior motives, which ultimately isn't niceness, right? And, you know, I think that in our culture, there's a lot of niceness going along to get along you know, being polite to avoid problems. And sometimes that's absolutely important. You know, sometimes it's better than what else might happen. But I think that that this sort of question of being centered and authentic and genuine versus sort of trying to make everything smooth, easy, nice, so on, right? Well, yeah, totally. And, you know, even, you know, the promise of reward, but, you know, even the promise of safety. Sure. And and that's definitely a reward, right? Like that's, that's a that's a an inauthentic equation, right? I'm being nice because I want this thing, and not that that might not be like. Please, if you need to do stuff to be safe, be safe. Please, everybody, right? Um, but it's not. There's there's an inauthenticity there, right? Which uh, absolutely that you know it, it behooves us to as we are able to work away from. Absolutely, absolutely, and. and- I would say a, a, a significant of my work is looking at times in childhood when we were making compromises yeah. to be safe sure. around the adults around us who weren't actually adults. Yeah. Or to get that love or to get that affection or, you know, whatever, right? Like any of it, right? For sure. Yeah. For sure. Well, I think that is a profound and wonderful place to wrap this up. Let's let's shake off those things. Let's uh, challenge those, you know, uh, collusions and you know, or as my friend might call them, internalized oppressions. And uh, you know, let's 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 move on from there and see what we can do to change ourselves and change the world. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, remind everybody where they can find you. Okay. Uh, people oh. should absolutely follow you on Instagram, but there are other places too. <laughs> Sure. Well, on uh, Twitter and Instagram, I'm Chiron Armand. Um, and I have a Facebook page, Impact Shamanism. My website is impactshamanism.com. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's been absolutely a pleasure. It's been as delightful as I imagined it might be. So first of all, let me say thank you for listening. Uh, secondly, uh, I hope that you are uh, intrigued by the possibilities of the uh, Patreon 
extras and go and check that out and consider signing up and supporting this podcast. And finally, if I can depart with one last ask, I deeply uh, would appreciate it if you can share this somewhere. Share your support for the podcast by leaving a review on iTunes or Google Play or Spotify or wherever you're listening to this thing. Uh, and perhaps even more helpfully, you know, share the link somewhere on your social medias uh, with a couple words about what you enjoyed about it and why somebody might uh, want to check it out. Uh, it is my goal for 2020 to really uh, ramp up this podcast as an integral part of my work in the world and uh, your ongoing support through actions like leaving reviews and supporting the Patreon and sharing it places or any of the above really do uh, make a huge difference in that process. All right. 